following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So I have a, a few passions, a few loves in my life. Of course, first is my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Second um, would be my two beautiful children. And third, some of you know, I have a passion for flan. Sometimes those last two trade places, depending on how good the flan is. And, um, but I have a passion for flan, and through the years here at our church, we've actually done flan baking competitions. And um, we had an expert panel of judges I um, offered my services on that panel um, and served on both of those uh, judging panels. It's possible that that's the entire reason we created those flan baking competitions. And so um, I'll never forget the first one we did. I mean, this had to have been like maybe uh, 10 or 11 years ago now. And we got together a big church picnic and everyone, uh, well, many people brought their flans and they had baked them, and we went, it was a blind taste test, so each had a number, we didn't know whose was whose, and we went in the back and we were tasting these flans, and I realized we have incredible flan baking capacity here at our church, another reason I'm so proud to be part of this church. And so I'm tasting, we're, we are tasting these flans, and I mean, some really went all out. I mean, there was like a mango-infused flan, okay, there was like a, a coconut flan, and there was like some brulee flan, but we were looking for that one flan that was like the real deal, like the genuine article, like the perfect flan, not like the the fancy creative flans. We wanted like the perfect flan, and we got to this one, number 14. And it had like the perfect thickness, okay? The consistency was not too gelatinous. It wasn't too eggy. I mean, it was like the perfect amount of creaminess, okay? Do we have any other flan fans out here? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, it was like the perfect consistency, like the caramelized sauce was just spot on. It wasn't too cooked, not undercooked. I mean, it was just perfect. And we put that in our mouths and we said, this is flan right here. This is the real deal. And so we go out, I remember that the, the, everyone kind of gathered and we announced, I think the mango flan one third, it was really good, and the coconut flan one second. And then we said, um, at number, and the winner is number 14. And there was silence, no one said anything. We said, number 14, is anyone number 14? And these two teenagers, uh, I'll never forget, Lauren and Kristen were their names, they all of a sudden, they looked at each other and they said, abuela, abuela. And emerging from the crowd, was this abuela? She didn't even know what, what that she'd won, okay? I mean, and it had to be an abuela, right, that made the perfect flan? Okay, and she comes forward, and we handed her this massive flan trophy that we had gotten, and we were told she displayed it proudly in her living room for years, okay? It was probably stolen, very valuable trophy. And, um, and so I'll never forget that we had come across, like, it was the real thing, the genuine article, that was, like, it, it was the real actual thing right there. And I say that because coming across something that's the real thing, the real deal, it's, it's actually authentic. Like coming across that, that's elusive sometimes in our society. We're at a moment as a church that's truly historic. We've been working through this series the last few weeks, but this is actually the product of months and years of dreaming and praying and fasting and planning. And it's a moment where where we believe God is saying, all right, what's been dreams, it's time for them to be plans. What's been thoughts need to be action steps. So I've brought you as a church out here I've percolated a DNA, a culture, a vision, but it's time to advance. And he's been stretching us to this moment, this moment that we've been praying for and looking towards for for many months now. And he's been stretching us for this moment because we believe today is the first steps 
into a new chapter of our church. A new chapter in our history. Where he's been saying, okay, you've had a vision for what would it look like to grow your church. But he's, but he's been saying, no, West Pines, I want you to think bigger than that. I want you to think beyond that. I want you to think at a level that unless God miraculously intervened, it would be doomed to failure. I want you to dream something so large that it would have to be a God thing for it to happen. And he began to percolate something commonly in the hearts of, of the leadership at our church. I mean, there was like a, a common heartbeat that started pumping. It was like a, a pulse, like a, a boiling, fiery blood pulse, like pumping through our hearts together. And, and a fire that was spreading through our church where we said, okay, what if the measure of success, of our success, is not what happens in this church? Like what happens like here among us, not even within our walls, but what would happen if we said our goal for success, like our purpose for existence, is to see our city and our community transformed by the power of the gospel? And what if we said, no, we believe what we read, that the gospel actually changes things. And what if South Florida was transformed? Because if South Florida can be transformed, that, the reach of that can impact the whole region of the globe. It can impact the world. And we said, okay, that's, that's your reality. And so we said, okay, our mission, we feel that God is laying on our hearts, is that we are going to, to reach South Florida and see Trans Florida transformed by the gospel in our generation. Which would be something truly historic. Something that would have to be bigger than us. Something that, that other churches would have to join in. And, and we believe God is at work doing that. And so we've been talking through what that would look like. And it leads us to this moment. A commitment Sunday. And so I just want to start off the bat a couple things. If you're a guest here today. We're talking about what we're doing together as a church. There's no expectation that you would join in this. You're welcome to join with us. But mostly, I'm excited that you're here because here's what you're going to see. I believe you are going to see our church, West Pines, at our absolute best today. Because our heart as a church, we just want the real thing. We don't want to be the church that just talks about reaching our community, talks about how much we love our community, talks about how much we love Jesus, talks about how much we believe the gospel can impact. We want to be a church that says, this is how much we believe and actually takes a step and does something about it. We just want the real thing. So last week, we had two nights. They were called Mathetes Summits is what we call them. They're an opportunity for those who are like the core of our church to come together and we re-talk through our vision and we gave those who were there an opportunity to join us as a leadership. All of us, 100% of us as leaders, staff and elders and others of our lay leaders have already committed saying I'm in and we wanted our, the rest of our, uh, those who are the core of our church to have that opportunity to lead the way. And so we did um, two nights, a Tuesday and a Thursday night and I wanna show you, it's a beautiful, powerful moment and I wanna just show you a quick video recap if you weren't able to be there of what took place uh, a, a week before last. Check this out. You walk on the waters. You speak to the sea. You stand in the fire beside me. You No one like you. It's 
powerful moment. If you got a chance to be there and, and a part of that, it was a beautiful moment. And this is a moment we are going to have together as a church today. But I want to, before we step into this moment, because we're going to do something like we've never done before as a church. And so I want to share with you a passage that gives the heart behind why we're doing something like this. And so I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36 and look at this beautiful encounter that Jesus had. We're moving through this series looking at various encounters that Jesus had. And you've got to see this one. It's, it's really beautiful encounter that Luke records here in his biography of Jesus. Luke 7 verse 36. Here's the story. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Actually, let me stop there. He reclined at the table. Let me give you the context here. I don't want to go any further. Here's what happens. You can see another example of Jesus who's willing to eat with almost anyone who asks. He'll eat with the notorious hated tax collector. He'll eat among the notorious sinners, as they'd call him. He'd eat even with the, the self-righteous religious elite, the Pharisee. And he's again going to their table. But I want you to know, as he's joining them for dinner, I want you to picture the scene. It says he reclines at the table with this Pharisee. And I want you just to kind of picture the scene. The way they'd have that, the way they'd eat, they wouldn't eat with a ta- like a regular table where they'd sit down. That's not how they ate in those ta- at that time. What they would do is they'd have a low table, maybe a few inches or, or maybe even a foot off the ground, and either a mat next to it with pillows or maybe a small low-to-the-ground couch, and they ate reclining. They would eat um, leaning towards the table with their feet backwards, like laying on their side, left arm down, like resting on a cushion, and eating with their right hand and kind of looking around the table and they would be encircling the table on the floor on couches and so I want you to imagine like almost like all their heads are in and their feet all pointing out like spokes around a wheel does that make sense okay that's an important visual for you to understand how this story plays out okay let's keep going verse 37 and behold a woman of the city who was a sinner When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Okay, I want to give you a little more culture behind to understand What's happening? Customarily, if you invite a special guest over to your house, and let's say you're having a banquet, there may be other people that come who are not necessarily invited to the table, but other people might just show up to witness the conversation. And if it was a wealthy household, that wouldn't be unexpected. And that's the dynamic that's happening here. There, there's uh, other people there, but they're not invited to be part of the conversation. They're, they can stand back and watch, but it's just the people at the table who have been invited and that are having the discussion. The rest are standing back quietly. When you'd walk into someone's house, there's a couple things they would do. They might anoint your head with with oil as kind of like a way to honor someone sometimes. Um, Usually they would greet um, someone with a kiss on the cheek. That was cultural for that time. And almost always before a meal, you would either have a servant wash your guest's feet or you would at least offer them a bowl for them to wash their own feet. Now you're thinking, man, I would really hate that job. And it's actually probably worse than you're thinking, okay? Like you're imagining your next like family get-together, like washing all of your family members' feet. That's a terrible thought, actually, okay? But it's far worse. I want you to imagine, in antiquity, roads that are dusty. I want you to imagine roads that have horses and cows and donkeys and sheep and camels walking around on the street commonly. And I want to remind you that everyone's wearing sandals that are basically the equivalent of flip-flops. Those are the feet, now you realize, why they need to be washed at the door. So Jesus walks in and you're going to learn that none of those customary things were done for Jesus. 
So what happens is Jesus is standing there and this woman comes in and it says that she was a sinner. Okay, Luke is not being, the author here is not being judgmental. It's a statement. Almost certainly what he means by that is she was a prostitute. That was her lifestyle. She was known to be that. She walks in. Now I want you to see what her game plan is. Because you can kind of figure out how this plays out, even though you only get a few words. She walks in with an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment. The ointment's not just oil, it's perfume. It's in an alabaster flask, which was a soft, porous stone that would be made into vases or into bottles like this holding um, perfumed ointment, okay? Now, those that they've found, archaeologists have found with ointment in them, they believe that the rock was so porous, some believe that just having that, that flask of, of perfumed ointment in your home, you could smell it a little bit out the pores of the rock and serve kind of as an air freshener. And then when you're ready to use it, um, they believe you had to actually break the th slender neck of the vial and pour it all out. So once you use it, you're, it's, you're using it one time, basically. And the, these could be varying levels of expense. They were all expensive, but they could be as expensive as what would equivalent to be something like twenty dollars to $30,000. This could be very, very costly. We're not told like at what level this is that she's bringing, but the point is it's very costly. She's bringing this. It says she approaches Jesus with... with this flask in her hand. It seems like her, her plan is to anoint his feet. Remember, he's leaning forward and his feet are behind him. He's probably maybe about to eat or passing some things around. And all of a sudden, this commotion happens behind him. And what undoubtedly she didn't expect happened. She gets to Jesus and she starts weeping. You don't plan that kind of thing. She starts weeping, okay? And we're not talking like a soft, like beautiful cry with a single glistening tear. It's not that type of weeping. We're talking like uncontrollably, like she's standing over Jesus' feet. She, she just starts weeping like probably loudly. She starts kissing his feet and his feet are getting drenched with her tears. Okay, we're talking like the type of weeping that most of us probably have only had a couple times in our life where it's like the floodgates of your tear ducts are opening up and tears are pouring down onto Jesus' feet. She's, she's Next thing she does, these tears are pouring out on his feet. She's kissing his feet. And then it says she takes her hair down. That would have been one of the most shocking things that happened. A woman like her would have had her hair covered Taking her hair out would be scandalous immodesty. And she probably even, it shows her naivety. It may show like a little bit of her background. It shows that she's probably just caught off guard, drenching his feet with her tears, kissing his feet. And then she just instinctively, she, she didn't plan for this. She didn't bring a towel. She just pulls her hair out and starts drying his feet. And, I, and I'm sure at some point she's like, what am I doing? And puts her hair up and then brings out the flask. That was the whole point anyway. And she's probably flustered and crying and just not even thinking. She's so moved. And she breaks open the flask and then eventually gets to what she meant to do the whole time and pours all of this ointment out, this incredibly costly ointment all over Jesus' feet. I guarantee you, by that point, you could hear a pin drop in that room. Like, they're all, like, no one's talking. The sound in that room is of her weeping and gasps. Look what happens, verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, notice that this is what he's thinking. If this man were a prophet, he would, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon thinks to himself, 
a question. How could this guy be a prophet? This guy is supposedly a prophet. I mean, I brought him here to get some intel on this guy who's gaining popularity. I mean, if this guy were really a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. I mean, the thing that gets him is who is touching him, touching Jesus. And Simon the Pharisee says, if he knew what sort of woman this was, surely he would have recoiled his feet from her. Surely he would have said, please don't touch me. Who do you think you are? Get along, go away. Get, get out of here. I don't want you touching my feet. I mean, that's what he was expecting. I mean, he's, this is what he's thinking, and, and it's probably it's being picked up because of his look of repulsion, first at the woman and now looking with, like, repulsed at Jesus for letting her touch his feet, his grimy, dusty feet. It's not even shocked about that. It's that she, of all people, is touching his feet. That repulses him. Now, here's the thing. It's dangerous to have thoughts like that when Jesus is also at the table. Because Jesus has a knack for verbally answering questions that you haven't actually had the courage to say out loud yet. Look at what Jesus says next. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay, you've got to hear this. Let's start with this parable. This is a classic Jesus move. He answers the man's thoughts, for starters, and he answers them with a parable. Three sentences, so simple but so profound. He says, let me just tell you a parable. There's a, a lender and there's two debtors. One owes 500 denarii and one owes 50 denarii, okay? Now, let me just put it in, like, modern-day terms. Like, one's a, one's a, 50 denarii is a large amount. 500 denarii is a very large amount. Roughly, it might be equivalent to imagine, like, 50 denarii being, like, a car loan and 500 denarii being, like, a mortgage on a house. One would take a few, like, one was, like, the, the value of, like, a couple months' whole salary. One's of a couple years' whole salary, okay? Like, think in those terms, like a car loan and a mortgage loan. And he says, both of these debtors couldn't pay their debt, and they go to the lender, and the lender forgives them. So, like, here's the scenario. I want you to imagine you've got a, a car loan with a bank, and you all of a sudden can't make the payments anymore. And you go to the bank, and you say to them, hey, can we just, like, rework the terms of this? Please don't repossess my car. I can't make the payments. Can you just have mercy on me and just, can we rework this, this loan? And the bank says, well, I'm going to do more than that. What if I just cancel the debt altogether? And, that, and you then walk out of that bank. You own the car free and clear, no more payments. Can you imagine that? That'd be a good day. You'd go out to dinner that night, I think. That, that's a game changer, okay? No longer car payment. You can rework things, okay? But let's say um, the person after that comes in. Let's say you're coming in and you actually have a mortgage for your house with the same bank. And you walk in and say, look, I can't make my mortgage payment anymore. Please don't foreclose on me. Please don't kick me out of my home. Can we rework the mortgage? Can we just 
figure something out, refinance this, and the bank says, I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to forgive your mortgage. You own the house free and clear. And you walk out of there, no more mortgage payment, that house is yours. Okay, it was a good day if they forgave your car loan. They for, the bank that forgives your mortgage, that's not just a game changer, that's a life changer. You might, you're going to Disney World, okay? You're not just going to dinner, okay? Now Jesus says, okay, which is going to be more grateful for that bank? Jesus is like, I'm pretty sure those two people are going to bank with that institution for life, okay? They're committed. They're like, this bank took care of me. But he's saying, who was going to love them the most? And the, and the Pharisee says, well, okay, clearly the larger debt that was forgiven. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. Then he looks at the woman. He said, let me compare two things. He said, um, you invited me here, didn't offer oil for my head, didn't give me a kiss on the cheek, didn't even give me water to wash my feet in. He said, but she came to anoint my feet, not with oil, but with ointment, out of an alabaster flask. She didn't just offer me a kiss for the cheek, she's repeatedly kissed my feet. And she didn't just wash my, hand, wash my feet with a bowl of water. She has washed my feet with her tears and wiped it with her hair. And then he said, she had, who has sinned, many sins has been forgiven much. And then he noticed he doesn't say, and you. He says, and those who have been forgiven little love little. Because here's the thing. In the parable, there's one who loves, who's been forgiven a lot and loves a lot, and one who's been forgiven a little less and loves a little less. But when he gets to the woman and the Pharisee, he says, she's done this and you've done nothing. He's subtly asking the question, have you been forgiven at all? But he says, this woman has been forgiven an extraordinary amount. Now, don't miss the key of the parable. The person was forgiven the debt first and then loved. Don't miss what this is telling us that is happening with this woman. She's not been forgiven because of this extravagant act of, of love towards Jesus. That didn't get her forgiveness. The whole point is Jesus is saying at the end, he says you're, to the woman, your faith has saved you. Something happened in this woman where she was feeling the shame of the lifestyle that she's found herself in and at some point hearing what Jesus has said, at some point hearing his teachings and drawing close to Jesus, she realized this man accepts me despite the mess my life is and she realized in faith that she's already forgiven which prompted her to do this extravagant act of pouring out to breaking this alabaster flask pouring it on his feet and when she got into that moment she couldn't restrain herself broke into weeping pouring her tears all over his feet wiping it off with her hair kissing his feet and then pouring the ointment onto his feet That's a reflex of love because in faith she's realized she's been forgiven so much. And then the most shocking thing of all happens. Jesus says to the woman, your sins have been forgiven. The gravity of that statement was not lost on the people in this, that room. So it shouldn't be lost on us either. They immediately start saying, who does he think he is? Okay, I want to go back to this, the mortgage issue. I want you to imagine you're standing outside your home and you're talking with your neighbor. And let's say your neighbor's a firefighter. And you're talking with your neighbor and you say, you say, hey man, how are things going? You know him pretty well. So you say, well man, actually things are tight. I'm trying to refinance my mortgage. You know, things are tight. I just... I mean, I'm not sure I can even make the payments anymore. And imagine your neighbor says, you know what, man? Your loan is forgiven. You don't need to make payments anymore, man. The house is yours, free and clear. Okay, does he have the authority to say that? You can try that. 
I don't think the bank is going to be very happy with that, okay? He is in no position to be forgiving loans that are, are not his to forgive. That's the bank's to forgive. Jesus looks at this woman and says, your sins are forgiven. And everyone starts murmuring saying, who does he think he is that he can forgive sins against God? Don't miss the gravity of this statement. It is a statement of his divinity. He is saying, I am the son of God. I can forgive sins. And he says to this woman, your faith, the faith that drove you here to this extravagant demonstration of love to me, your faith saved you. Your sins are forgiven. This is an unbelievably powerful moment that we see here in the text. You see, excuse me, do you see what she did? I mean, we get, we get an understanding of worship. Worship is first a reflex not to gain something from God. It's a reflex because of what God has already done for us. Worship is, is more than that. Look at this woman. She did something publicly, something humbling of herself to honor Jesus. She, worship is not only those two things. Worship is she brought something costly to Jesus. Something that meant something, something that mattered, just this priceless ointment. She broke it open and said, I'm going to pour this out for Jesus. That was what the reflex of worship looks like. That's what she did. And we come to a similar moment together as a church today. Today is what we're calling Commitment Sunday. And as we've said, this is historic. This is our first steps into this new chapter, into our future that we believe God is calling us to. We believe God is calling us to see South Florida transformed in our generation because we know if South Florida can be transformed, the region of the world and the world can be impacted. And we believe that. And we believe that God is saying, okay, West Pines, it's time to take steps into that vision, time to take dreams and become plans. And so we've said, okay, what are these first steps that you are stretching as Jesus to take? And so here are the, the three steps we've been talking about over and over through this series. Step one is already underway. One of our highest priorities as a church is to reach children and students, this up-and-coming generation, and to pour into them. And we hit a point where we were getting to an obstacle in our kids' ministry space. We, needed, we knew that if this is going to be a long-term viable campus, for our church, that we need to expand our kids' space. So already under construction right now, we are um, doubling our kids' space right now. That will be completed in the next couple months. Phase two, we said, okay, we've noticed that God is already, the people that come to West Pines, we mapped it, and they're all over South Florida. There are people that come to West Pines from Kendall and Hialeah and Miami Lakes and South Miami and North Miami and Hollywood and, and Weston and Plantation and Davie and up in Fort Lauderdale, even Lighthouse Point. They spread us all over South Florida. And we've said, okay, God, you've gone before us because you want us to have a reach throughout South Florida to go after this vision of reaching South Florida. And so in the next 18 months, phase two is we're going to establish a second campus for our church in another one of these cities and neighborhoods so that that neighborhood, they can, we can continue to reach those schools and those workplaces and those neighborhoods and those friend groups and those family members. And so in the next 18 months, we're going to establish a second campus as a church. And then in the next three to five years, we believe that God is calling us to find the most strategic location to plant on another campus that will be the resourcing broadcasting campus for all the campuses of our church in the next three to five years. Why are we doing that? We're taking these next steps. Why is it to build our church? No, God has called us to something far beyond that. He's calling us to shoot for something that would be historic, seeing South Florida itself transformed by the gospel. And so in this season, we've been stretching ourselves. God is saying, okay, West Pines, if you are going to be this all-in follower of Christ, then I'm going to stretch you, and first I'm going to stretch you in the area of generosity. And we believe that God has been saying, okay, it's time to stretch you in this area. And so um, what, what we've done is said, okay, we're going to do something unlike we've ever done before. Why? Because we're not going to be one of those churches that just talks about it. We're going to do something about it. And so we put together these commitment cards, and uh, they're, all, they're on your seats uh, when you came in. And we've been talking about this and praying over these for the last 
a couple weeks and months. And um, before I talk this through, I just want to make this absolutely clear. Two things. First, if you're a guest, there's no expectation that you're joining in with us, but um, you're welcome to join us, but there's no expectation that you would participate in this. But I'm so glad that you're here because I believe you're going to see that we as a church don't just talk about how much we love South Florida. We do something about it. We don't just talk about how much we believe the gospel can transform a city. We're actively wanting to do something about it. And secondly, if you're here and you might be saying, look, I'm on a spiritual journey. I don't even know where I stand. I wouldn't even say I'm a Christian. Look, I'm glad that you're here because here's what you're going to witness today. I believe, I, I know many people that their number one pushback against Christianity is they've met too many Christians that talk about how much they love Jesus and talk about how much they follow Jesus, but in the end, their lives are not the real genuine thing. And we as a church are saying, no, we are committed to being the real thing. And so you're going to see us as a church say, no, this is how much we are committed to the mission that God has called us to. If West Pines is your church home, this is for you today, this commitment card. We've been praying about it. We've been working towards it. Our ultimate goal is that 100% of those who call West Pines their church home say, you know what? I'm part of this. I'm part of my church. I'm part of this mission. I want to be a part of this. And so today, what we are going to do is we are going to be turning in these cards together in a dramatic moment of worship. And so some of you have been praying over this for a while, but if this is new for you, I want to just walk you through so you understand what this card looks like. Can everyone just pull this off of your seat and grab this for a second? Here's how this card works. If you'll see that first line at the top, that's where you put, okay, this is how much I normally give to the work of my church. And you would put that number there, and you'd start with that. And then you'd say, okay, that next line is my expanded generosity. This is the part I've prayed through. This is how, God, you've, you've stretched me over the, this as I've been praying through this. This is what I, because I, I want to take that next step, you'd fill out that next line. You'd add those two together, that, then that third line is now the new total that you're saying, this is what I feel God is calling me to do this year. This is a two-year financial initiative, so you'd go across to the right, multiply it by two, put the total there, and then that next line down says, gifts from my or other uh, resources, my or our other resources. And this is the line that we've seen some of those beautiful stories start to surface in our church. This is where we've seen people say, you know what, I'm so committed to doing something that matters for eternity. They've looked around at their stuff and said, what, what can I liquidate? What could I sell to leverage it for something that matters for eternity? This is where we've really gotten creative as a church. And so you'd fill that in, you'd add that together, and in the blue box is where you'd put your two-year commitment saying, okay, Lord, this is what I'm committed to being a part of this vision. You'd put your name on the bottom, and then in a little bit, you're, you will fill that out, fold that up, and then put, bring that forward or to the back and put that in one of the boxes. Now, let me just ask you, why are we doing this? This is a brand new thing for us. Why would we do something like this, like this card? Well, there's a practical use for it. For, for, it's a very practical tool to kind of work through this process. And you say, okay, that's great. I could see that would be helpful for some, but I don't need a card you know, to, to figure out like, what I'm going to give. So why would I fill this out? Well, the second reason is also practical. As a church, we are committed to making decisions, especially the big decisions, with as much wisdom and planning as strategically as possible. In fact, we have an elder team that makes um, these big level and financial decisions together. It's comprised of some, some of our staff pastors and some other lay leaders. We bring in other um, teams of experts in their fields to, to speak into and advise these big decisions. Our finance department has a, a separate audit team of financial professionals from our church that look over the finances to make sure that we are making as wise and solid decisions as we possibly can. And so by filling this out as a church, this helps us wisely plan and say, okay, this is what we're committed to as a church. Now we can make a wise plan together. But the other reason for this card is this is a dramatic moment of unity where we're together saying, this is what we're doing as a church. And this is our act of worship before God. I mentioned earlier that we had an, uh, a couple nights where the core um, parts of our church came together at these Mathetes summits, and they had an opportunity to join us as leaders 
um, and, and make their commitment and kind of lead the way as a church. And I want you to hear from some of them what the excitement that God is building in them for what they are able to be a part of. Check out this video. Tonight was like the evening that made me commit to being all in. It's super exciting to give back and to see the impact that it's going to have, not just on your church, but how your church is going to be able to then spread that impact to the community. When I weighed out all the wages that I would make in this new job, I realized that I could donate more than double of what I thought I was going to donate before. I finished filling in the blanks, you know, feeling a little bit uneasy about what I was putting in there, my commitment. Um, and then um, my boss called me into her office for uh, my review, my annual review, and I got a big increase, which is unexpected. It, it makes me excited to hear how they're going to be expanding the children and the youth community because for years I didn't have a church to bring my children. Just to watch our kids come home and be excited and tell us stories about things in kids' ministry and watch how that's going to expand and know that we're going to reach the next generation, you know, for Jesus, it's just incredible. I feel like this is not for a church's sake. This is not for the sake of West Pines. This giving is kingdom oriented. It's like almost like God's budgeting this and he's asked us to be part of it. So I'm ready to give my wife, my family, we've decided on that and we are all in, man. And by the miracles that God's provided to us through our life is we think it's time to give back. It allows us to be a part of what God's already doing. Uh, you know that what's going on tonight, um, the decisions that are being made is gonna be what's important throughout eternity. When everybody turned in the cards at the end, it was just so beautiful to see my Mathetes family really committing to something, to take that step of faith, that act of obedience and saying, I'm all in. Whatever that means to you, whether it's the dollar amount that's significant to you or the heart that's involved in saying, I'm all in. Here's what you heard in that video as you heard some of those testimonies or things that we've talked about. Why are we doing this? We started this series by saying, okay, it's because God has placed us here on mission. He's placed you here in South Florida as a missionary. And man, this city, this community, it's, it's broken, it's hurting. It's lost. There, there are millions in our city that are facing an eternity away from God. And they're not just strangers. We know them. They're our friends and neighbors and co-workers and family members. We know the deep lostness of our city and we will not sit by and do nothing. We've seen the brokenness of our city. We've seen the hurt and the pain and the, the, the systems that are, that are broken. And we say, no, how could we, he's placed us here, do nothing. No, we are going to rise up and do something. We're going to stretch ourselves. We're going we're to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Our compassion demands we take action. How could we just talk about it? We talked about, look, it, it, it's not just our compassion. It's that we truly believe in heaven. We believe that. That's not a line. We believe Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death. And we too will rise from the grave and spend eternity, billions and billions and billions of eras in heaven. This will seem like nothing. Just a brief dot on the line of our existence as we spend all of our eternal life in heaven. So why would we be so tied to the things we think matter now? Why not start preparing? Jesus tells us it's only wise to start preparing for something that matters for eternity. So many distractions in this life that don't matter. Why not say no? We believe in heaven. That's our home. That's what we were made for. One day we'll walk through those gates and we'll see Jesus and we'll say, this is what I've been homesick for all my life. So why don't I live for heaven now? Last week we said we believe what it says in the Bible. That God wants us to be generous for us. 
He wants to stretch us. He wants to free us from the chains of being tied down to stuff and money. That's a poor master in our life. And he's breaking open the gates and saying, West Pines, I'm not just using you to do something out in in South Florida. I want to do something in you. I want to unleash generosity in your heart to free you and break the chains. Filling out that card, do you realize it's for you? But today there's one more reason we've got to talk about. Because that woman who wept over Jesus' feet and made such a costly gift of worship for Jesus who had been forgiven so much, that's your story. That's my story. There's no one who's been forgiven little. It's because there's someone here that this is your story. You say, I grew up and with deep brokenness. Maybe it was because family issues or things that happened and I spent most of my life thus far seeking out, finding who will value me, who will accept me. I tried getting acceptance from friends. I tried feeling valued from a relationship. I just wanted to be someone's somebody. I want to be tr- wanted to be treasured and valued. And so I went from this relationship to this relationship and, and this intimate moment to this intimate moment. And I thought it was going to fill that gnawing, longing for acceptance. But each time I felt more shame and more emptiness after but I kept going back to it over and over. It was like I kept going back to a well, so thirsty and trying to drink from that well. And in the end, that well left me even more thirsty than when I started. But one day on my trip back to that well, I encountered my Savior, Jesus. And he said, I know your story. I know all your relationships, but I love you and I accept you and I've I've been with you through this whole thing. And you say, this is my story. I found one who made me and loves me and knows me and is walking with me and he accepts me just as I am. That's my story, you say. Because there's someone here and your story is I worked all my life trying to be good enough to please God. I was at church, I, I did all the right things, I tried, to, I tried to pray a lot and read the Bible a lot and give a lot and, and be nice a lot. I was just trying to earn God's acceptance, but inside I just, I felt so angry and empty and I had to hide all the sins I was really struggling and I just, I, I felt so dry and finally I just broke and I had to come before Jesus and I finally admitted sins that I was struggling with to Jesus. It was almost like I had to come to Jesus in the cover of darkness. And I finally just said, Jesus, what does it take to be saved? And he said, you don't understand. It's not earning salvation. It's just by grace. It's like you've got to be completely reborn and born again. And you say, that's my story. I found grace. I found that he accepts me just as I am. It can't be something that I earn. He's doing the work in me, working my way out. It's because for some of you, your encounter was like this. You say, you don't have any idea that moment of brokenness I had. I had, I had been struggling medically or I had been struggling with, with a relationship or financially or emotionally or with an addiction or whatever and I had tried everything I could think of. I had exhausted all my resources and I finally said, maybe I'll give Jesus a try. And one day you found yourself in a church And you said, you just half-heartedly, barely just got it out from your heart. Jesus, I don't know if this is going to work. But I'm going to give this a try. Can you help me? And you said, it's not even that I ran and embraced Jesus. I was just reaching for him. I was just, just barely had the energy to reach out for him. It was almost like I just touched the edge of his clothes. And in that moment, he met with me and he healed me and he, and he fixed me and he walked with me. And, he, and you don't understand what he's pulled me out of. And even though I've faced hard times since that, I know he is so faithful and he is going to get me through. That's what today is about. It's because our story is like this woman pouring out a very humbling, very public way of honoring Jesus our story is, is the same where we say, no, Jesus, I'm not bringing you leftovers. You're my king. You're my savior. I'm bringing you something that costs me something. I wish it could be more. I give you my life. That's what this offering is. 
It's us saying today we're going to do something dramatic, extravagant together as a reflex for all that Jesus has done for us. So can you take a second now? This is for the West Pines family. If this is your church home, can you just do me a favor? Can you take out that commitment card now? This is going to be our offering to Jesus today. Never done this before, but this is our extravagant offering to him. And if you haven't filled that out yet, can you take a moment and start filling that out? But here's what I want you to be thinking about. As you're filling that out, West Pines family, can you say a prayer? Say, Jesus, this is for this person and I want you to visualize their face and their name and saying because I can't stand the thought of eternity without this person can you say in this moment while I'm filling this out can you say this is because I know that this isn't my home and I want to do something that matters for eternity can you take a second and as you're filling that out can you pray a prayer where you say Jesus this is because I want you to do a work in me Can you fill that out and say, in Jesus, this is because you've done so much for me because first and foremost, this is an offering back to Jesus. Leaders, if you've already filled this out and turned it in, I want you to refill it out now because I want you to be a part of this moment. And in just a moment, there's, we're gonna sing a song together and when that music starts, you can, we're gonna stand up and you're gonna come forward or go to the back and you're gonna place that commitment card in one of these boxes and we're going to close in a song together and we take these steps into our future. Let me pray over this offering. Jesus, we are your church. We are your people. We are trying to follow your mission and your plan for our lives and for us together. And so Jesus, we are offering this to you. This is our offering to you, our sweet Jesus, our King, our Savior, the one who brought such forgiveness and hope into our lives. We're offering this back to you because we know if this is your plan, it cannot be thwarted. You are the victor. You defeated sin and death, and we know you want to defeat that here in our city, here in our lives, and we know you are our king that rose from the dead. You bring victory and life, healing to the broken, life to where it's dead, and we can't wait to see what you're going to do. This is our offering to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.